morning, church. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Yeah. Hopefully you grab your Bible. Did you get a note-taking guide when you came in? Uh, hopefully you did. We've got a lot of content today as we get started. If you're going to find in your Bible the book of Galatians that we are studying all month long while you are finding that, uh, one day a cowboy was driving in his truck and he had his faithful dog beside him in the passenger seat and out behind are, uh, is, is a trailer hauling his faithful horse. And they come around a corner and they're going too fast. They miss the corner. They have a horrible wreck. The story is about to get really, really sad. And so they, 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 they have a horrible wreck and a police officer pulls up to the scene of the crash. And there he sees on one side of the trailer the horse. Both of its legs are broken, two out of the four. I think that's how many horses have, four legs. And so, so, so uh, and, it, and it's obvious that the horse is not going to survive. And so he takes out his service pistol and being an animal lover as he was, he knew what he had to do. Bang, he put the horse out of his misery. So he went over to the other side of the, the, of the trailer, and there he found the dog. Same story. The dog is barely alive, barely breathing, and, and with his training, and he knew what he needed to do as an animal lover, he put the dog out of its misery. Bang. And then he walked over to the cowboy, and there the cowboy lays, broken and bleeding, broken bones, the most pain he's ever experienced in his life. And he asked the cowboy, how are you? Are you okay? Cowboy looked at the smoking gun and said, never been better, officer. <laughs> I am good to go. Uh, now, if you are here today and anyone has ever accused you of being a police officer with a smoking gun, if you have ever had anybody accuse you of being the person who always has to come in and take charge, if there is no situation that is too intimidating for you to step in and try to be in control, then you may be a D personality. I already see you ribbing the person beside you. Some of you are married to D's here today. This is your day. Now, if you have no idea what we're talking about, then what we want to encourage you to do is go to our website there on the watch link. You can watch last week's message, get caught up on what we studied last week, and we are in the second week of our series called Personality Profiles. Last week, we were introduced to the four basic personality types using the DISC profile system. And we saw that if you tend to be very task-oriented, more than just hanging out with people, you want to get something done. And if rather than just thinking about it, you'd rather get to action and do it, that's called a D personality. If you are uh, more uh, people-oriented and more spontaneous, hey, let's do something fun, uh, and maybe not quite as much about whether or not it accomplishes a task when you do something fun, then you're probably an I, inspiring, impressing, interacting. Uh, if you are a little more people-oriented, you don't want to upset folks, and you're also more steady and stable, you, you like to think things through before jumping into action, that's called an S personality. And then if you are more conscientious and a critical thinker, uh, concerned with competence, you're uh, more about task necessarily than just about people's feelings, but you also are a little more cautious and prone uh, to not jump into action in a given circumstance. That is called a C personality in this DISC profile system. How many of you took your assignment last week home and did the website? Let me see all around. Look, look at that. Oh, man, we've been having fun 
with that. Some of you may have forgotten. You can go ahead and uh, this afternoon, please don't do it right now. We want you to pay attention. Uh, but this afternoon, you can go home and uh, go to the website, 123test.com. There you can, uh, can take a quick and simple personality test where you ask, answer about 50 questions and it will help you determine where you fit on that scale. I've heard stories back from people who are enjoying taking this test, people who have done it with their workplace, with their employees, people who have been doing it as a family. There's been buzz around our office. I've heard stories all week long. And so what's really interesting, though, is that you can kind of tell something about your personality test based on how you approached this assignment. Let's go back real quickly. And if, if you took the test, figured out your personality type, and then went and shared the news with like 30 or 40 people, and you invited half your neighborhood and all your coworkers to come to church with you to experience this series together, you're probably an I personality. If you took the test and you shared the results with two or three close confidants so that you could have a deep conversation about it, you're probably an S personality. If you struggled to answer even the first question of the test. Like it took you 30 minutes because none of the answers seemed perfect to describing you then, uh, and, and you actually had to get your spouse to finish the test for you because you couldn't decide. You're probably a C personality. And if you, on the other hand, took the test quickly and then emailed the web developers to tell them how they could and should improve the website, <laughs> you are probably a D personality. But remember the ground rules that we laid out in your notes, are you ready? In your notes, remember that number one, no personality type is better or worse than any other. We live in a culture that tends to celebrate certain personality types and devalue others. And yes, it is true that there are certain jobs, there are certain roles that are better suited for certain types of personalities, but that doesn't mean that one is better than the other, that, that we all have value. God created all the personality types for a reason. Number two, never reduce people to a stereotype. Just because a person, uh, just because a person has a few of these characteristics, just because they have a predominant personality type in their mix, that does not mean that you have them all figured out. Don't go around judging people. This is to help us appreciate other people. Rule number three. Number three is personality type is never an excuse for inappropriate behavior. If you are acting like a jerk, don't blame it on your personality type. If you are being antisocial, if you are being a lazy bum, your personality type is not an excuse for that, which leads to the ultimate point of this series, rule number four, understand that God's goal is to develop the fruit of the Spirit in my life. You see, your personality type, as it is today, is not the end result. That, that, that what, what God starts with is your natural wiring, but it does not end there. And that is the main point of the series, is that God's goal is to help us stretch and grow and become more than what we are today. In fact, to become like Jesus. 
And so the purpose of this series is not just so that we can figure out our strengths and our weaknesses and become more self-aware. That's a good starting point. But the purpose of this, the purpose of self-awareness is so that we can then take what we're learning and begin to change and grow to become more like Jesus. Amen? See, see, the closer you get to God, the more you will begin to see new characteristics and new qualities that God wants to develop in your life. Well, what are those? I'm glad you asked, because that's what we finished up with last week The fruit of the Spirit. This is what God wants to develop in us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, we're going to learn these together. By the end of the month, I promise you're going to have these memorized. Let's do it together. Are you ready? Here we go. Clear your throat. (sighs) Okay, good and loud, really strongly. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's do it one more time. Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, how many of you say, hey, man, I got all those and a bag of chips? Like, I got all that down. I I am so perfect in these, it's not even funny. Anybody? No? How many of you say, I probably have one, two, or three areas here where I have room for growth? Some of you have both hands in the air. (laughs) And so, how do we grow? What's interesting is, the, the personality type that you struggle or the, the fruit of the spirit that you struggle with, the, the fruit of the spirit that you are strong in and the fruit of the spirit that you are weak in many times will correlate with your personality type. And so after this list, then in verse 24, the author of Galatians gives us insight into how we should grow. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, everybody say crucified, the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Say that last line together, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That is the goal of this series, to see how the fruit of the Spirit and living in step with the Spirit will help us maximize our strengths and grow in our weaknesses, especially the weaknesses in the fruit of the Spirit that sometimes correlates with our personality type. So we're going to look at each week a different personality type and see how it connects with the fruit of the Spirit. Are you ready? Here we go. In your notes, what's up with the Ds? Today's for D personalities. Number one, D's are more task-oriented than people-oriented and are more active than passive. What that means is if you give the D personality a choice between doing a project or sitting around talking about their feelings, (laughs) that nine times out of ten, they will pick doing the project. In fact, that's why you will not get their attention if you interrupt a D when they are in the middle of doing something. 
Because once they, they, once they start something, it's about pressing through and getting things done. Number two, most Ds have a high sense of confidence. If somebody says, it can't be done, and you take that as a personal challenge to prove that it can be done, you are, you are probably a D. In fact, everybody likes to win, right? Winning is fun. Everybody likes to win. But a D needs to win. It doesn't matter what the game is, old, uh, made, go fish, candy land. If you are playing with a D, it becomes a death match. That, that Ds do not play for fun. Ds play to win. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, I've got one of these in my house, I know. Number three, Ds often prefer to be in control. A D will often walk into a room and immediately determine who is in charge here. Because if nobody is in charge, they will be glad to take the role. And so uh, if you get into the car with a D, they would prefer not to sit in the passenger seat. Give me the wheel, baby. I'm ready to drive, yes? And so number four, Ds are often quick to implement change. You know the old saying, if it ain't broke, what? Everybody together, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't fix it. Ds hate that saying. Because they say, you may think that it's not broke, but I'm going to fix it anyway. There's surely some way that I can add value to this. And so, uh, by the way, these were really helpful. I found these descriptors from Rick McGinnis. And one of the things that's funny is that when it comes to implementing change, there's a difference in the personality types that an I will, will often say, you know, let's talk to everybody and get their input as we make a, a change, and let's just do something. An S will talk to a few close confidants to decide whether or not to make a change. A C will study all the charts and graphs and do all the analytics before trying to make a change eventually. Meanwhile, a D is standing there going, would you just quit fussing and do it already? <laughs> and so, as you can imagine, there are great benefits to being wired like this. Having a high sense of confidence, uh, being determined and decisive and motivated. But if you are a D or you spend a lot of time with a D, then you also know that there can be challenges. That sometimes we Ds can be a strong leader, and other times we can be a bull in a china shop, leaving a trail of destruction. And in fact, if you are a D personality, it is quite likely that you have had times when you found out that people were offended by you, that you hurt somebody's feelings, and it's kind of confusing to you. You don't understand why, because you never intended to hurt anyone's feelings. You were just trying to get something done. So how do we grow together, even us Ds? Let's begin looking again at Galatians 5. What are the fruit of the Spirit? I promise by the end of this month, you're going to have them memorized. Let's say them together. Here we go, out loud. The fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're a D, maybe there are a few of these that jump right out at you. 
In fact, you know that the Bible was not written in English originally, that the New Testament, most of it was written in Greek. So this book of Galatians, in the original language, the Greek language, sometimes we read words like this, and the, the translators do their best to pick a good English word for the original word, but sometimes it's helpful to go back and see the depth and the context of the original meeting. And so three words we're going to look at today in the fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. The Greek word is agape. Everybody say agape. Agape. What the definition is today is an unconditional love that requires nothing in return. Now we're not saying that D's have a problem loving people. That's not the point. But sometimes because D's are very concerned about productivity and getting things done, many times this idea of expecting nothing in return from people can be a challenge. Because sometimes a D, if we're not careful, can use other people in the pursuit of accomplishing their goals. But, but, but catch this, catch this. What if instead of using other people to advance your goals, what if you were beginning to set goals that helped you advance other people? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's really big. Let me say that again. What if instead of using other people in advancing your goals, what if you started to set goals that helped you advance other people? You see, maybe your goals have been financial or career-oriented for success or profit. But what if God were to redirect your passion and energy towards his purposes, and God's purpose is always about people? Now, now, God may use financial success in your life. God may use career advancement. He may use that promotion that you get at work. He may use that project that you're working on in, in helping accomplish that goal. But God's goal is always about you helping other people. And so what if instead of using other people in the pursuit of your goals, what if you began to pursue goals that helped you advance other people? Because that is the essence of love. Love is giving of ourselves to others, expecting nothing in return. What's the second one that we could look at today? What about the word kindness? in the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. The Greek word is krestotes. Everybody say together, krestotes. Krestotes. The definition is an attitude of sweetness or mellowness. Sweetness. Mellowness. Not exactly the words we think of when we think of D's, right? And so does God want to take D personalities who are confident and aggressive and turn you into wimps who cower and have no self-esteem in the corner. No. But God does want to take the strength of our personalities and begin to create a sweetness or a mellowness that smooths off some of those rough edges. In Matthew 11, verse 28, one time Jesus was talking about what he wants to do 
in the life of his followers. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everybody say, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. Now, what is a yoke? You know what a yoke is, right? A yoke is what they would use on a farm or hauling an ox cart. You know, the oxen or the mule or the horse, but generally a, a yoke is on an ox because often it's a big wooden harness. That what happens is it, is it is put over the shoulder of the animal to harness its energy and make it productive. That the, the, the driver uses it to steer the animal and harness it to make it productive. Guess what? D's love that. D's love to harness people to make them productive. But what Jesus says his yoke is, is very different. Jesus says that his yoke is what? Easy. Now, what does that mean? Here's the cool part. In this verse, the Greek word for easy, get this, comes from the same root word as the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Kressos. Remember the word was krestotes in the fruit of the Spirit? The same root word is this word in the scripture for easy. The God's, Jesus says, his yoke is easy. Do you know what that means? The definition of that word has to do with this. Something that fits well. Now think about this. What Jesus is saying is that when he puts his yoke on you, to harness you and make you productive to accomplish great things in this world. That when he does, his harness, when he puts it on you, it fits well. Like a good pair of shoes. You know when you put on a pair of shoes, you're trying some on at the store, and, and you just put a pair on, and they just don't feel right. They just don't fit right. They're so uncomfortable. They're not, they're not shaped for you. But then you... Take off those shoes and you put back on your favorite comfortable shoes and they just are molded to your feet. They just fit right. Jesus says that's what his yoke is in your life. And that is the word for kindness. God wants for us to develop a, a philosophy of dealing with people that fits the individual like a good pair of shoes. In other words, that we would not hold other people to these impossible standards where we set expectations for them and, and put demands upon them that do not fit them. Don't put a yoke on other people that doesn't fit them. And so this word krestotes is a beautiful word. In fact, that root word, krestos, also can refer to the mellowness of a fine wine that has been carefully aged so that all the harshness and bitterness has been taken out to smooth it out so it's no longer harsh. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Number three, gentleness. 
The Greek word in the fruit of the Spirit for gentleness is preotes. Everybody say preotes. Preotes. The definition is power under control or in submission to a higher authority. Whenever you see the word meekness in Scripture, it's the same word preotes, the word for gentleness. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 5, uh, when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, that word meek was the same Greek word, preotes. On that Palm Sunday, when Jesus went riding into the city of Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of uh, the ancient prophets, it says that, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle. It's that word preotes from the fruit of the spirit. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Look at what this means. Think this through. What this is saying is that Jesus, the son of God, the creator of the universe, whom angels and worship, uh, worship and adore, he has angels at his beck and call. He has all authority over heaven and earth at his fingertips. Jesus, who could, if he chose to, could come in and push his weight around and be dominant over everyone, enforcing his will upon them. That Jesus could have come in with horses and chariots and might, but instead he came into the city gently moseying on a humble little donkey. You remember the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle. Aristotle defined the word preotes as the quality of the person who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. The adjective form of the word is used of an animal that has been tamed and brought under the control of its master. So what we're talking about is not God changing your basic personality, not turning a D into an S. But listen, God's goal is this, to take your natural strength and bring it in submission to his control in your life. And so how does God do that in our lives? Well, remember when we read the fruit of the Spirit that then in just a verse or two later, it explains how to get there, how to grow, that we have to be crucified in our sinful nature, crucified with Christ, and live by the Spirit as we keep in step with His Spirit. And what will happen is when you start living your life that way, when you keep in step with the Spirit, the more you do that in your life, the more God will begin to reveal new areas where he wants you to grow. And get this, the more God will begin to bring experiences into your life that will help you grow. What are some of those experiences that can help us grow? Just in closing, let's look at three. Three experiences that can help us grow. Number one, in times of failure. I once had a college professor who said something I'll, I'll never forget. He said, never run ahead of God because he might not be going in your direction. Never run ahead of God. He might not be going in your direction. 
And yet, how often do we do that? How often do we run ahead of God and we try to manipulate situations to make things go our way rather than seeking God's way? And that sometimes when we run ahead of God, he lets us fail. And one of the unfortunate truths that I have learned in my life is that very seldom after a great success have I learned deep life lessons. But after just about every failure I have gone through, God has used those to teach me and help me grow. There's a passage in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy where the nation of Israel is entering the promised land that is flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of riches. And so as they move into this season of prosperity, listen to the the warning that Moses gives them. As they move into the season of success and prosperity, Moses says, You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Now notice something. You can misread this if you're not careful. It doesn't say that God is the one who destroys you. But that when you forget God and run on ahead, not living in submission to him, often destruction and failure will be the result. And so God does not use failure to punish you, but he does use failure to shape you. He doesn't use it as a punishment, but it is an opportunity to learn and grow and become more submissive to God. Number two, in times of silence. If you are a D or an I personality, uh, silence can be hard (laughs) because when you have a great idea, it just has to be shared. But every once in a while, practice the discipline of silence. Maybe sometimes try keeping your opinion to yourself unless it is asked for. I know it's really hard, but James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so sometimes intentionally choosing to be silent can help develop the fruit of gentleness, keeping your power under control. And sometimes intentionally choosing to be silent can help develop the fruit of kindness, to listen more to others, to not try to fix people, but instead to try to understand people. Instead of speaking and giving advice to begin to listen and seek to understand others. Number three, in times of submission, the Bible has a lot to say about submitting to the God-given authority that, that has been placed over us. Romans chapter 13, verse one and two says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. 
Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring a judgment on themselves. If you're a D, let me guess, this is probably not your favorite passage of Scripture. Can can I just say, uh, this is one of the reasons that I really appreciate that Moncton Wesleyan is part of a denomination. Now, I am not attacking or speaking against non-denominational independent churches. Please don't hear me wrong, wrongly. But what I am saying is that, that if we get out of line here, we have a higher authority than just me and our church board, and that we have willingly submitted ourselves to godly authority, that we're part of a network of churches both here in Atlantic Canada and around the world that we have chosen to submit ourselves to so that if we start teaching like weird, messed up theology or start heading off in some some wrong direction, that, that other churches in our network can come in and set us straight because we have placed ourselves in submission to authorities beyond just ourselves. Proverbs 15, verse 5. It says, A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. There are times when I may not always like the authority that has been placed over me, but I do have to respect to, respect and, and even at times submit to them even if I'm not crazy about it. Sometimes for a D personality, one of the greatest seasons of growth in your life can be a season where you willingly choose to submit to the leadership of someone else who you think is not as good a leader as you are. Don't miss that. Sometimes a great season of growth in our lives can be when we willingly choose to submit to an authority, to a leader who we think is not as strong as we are. There's a great story about this in the New Testament. You're not going to find any more dominant D personality than a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a natural-born leader. I mean, he didn't care what anybody thought. He was going to do what he was going to do. And people were attracted to the strength of his leadership. He, he w- went out in the wilderness, and people would come from all around, all around the country. People would come to follow his leadership, to listen to his teach, uh, teaching, to be, to be baptized by him. He had this huge crowd following him until Jesus came along. And when Jesus came along, all of a sudden, many of the people who were part of John the Baptist's crowds got up and went out and began to follow Jesus instead. And so some of John's followers got jealous. And they said, John the Baptist, Jesus is taking your people. You need to do something about it. Jesus is stealing some of your authority as a leader. But listen to what John the Baptist, this strong, dominant D, said in John 3, verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. 
The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. In other words, Jesus is saying, all these people, all this stuff, it's not mine. It's God's. John says, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And in verse 30, he says these words, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Could we make that our thought of the day, our thought of the week? If all of us would walk out of this place today with these words on our lips, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Would you say that with me? Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Say it again. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Again, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Imagine what it would be like if the world lived like this. Would the world not be a much more beautiful place? Imagine if we were to put away our selfishness, if we were to put away our selfish desires and truly lived our lives like this, Jesus must become greater. Others must become greater. And I must become less. And so today we are going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And the bread represents Christ's body broken for us. That he suffered so that we can be forgiven. The cup represents his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you are here today and you have never made the decision to give your life to Jesus, if you've never confessed your sin and said, Father, I know that you sent Jesus to be my salvation. I know that Jesus died on the cross to take my place because the punishment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so I thank you for the gift of eternal life that can only be received through the sacrificing of myself, death to self. Remember the, the passage in Galatians 5.24? That we are crucified in our sinful nature with him. That literally we have to die to ourselves, die to our own desires in order that we can be resurrected to new life with Christ, eternal life with him, now and forever. This is not just when you receive your salvation. It's not just to stamp your ticket to heaven when you die. It's to empower you to live the spirit-filled life even now as you live. And so if you've never done that, all you have to do is as we get ready to take communion today, pray a simple prayer 
where you invite him to come in and you too can receive communion today and cross from death into life. So we invite the ushers to come forward with the elements as we pray. After this prayer, we're going to sing a song and we just ask that you would hold on to the bread, hold on to the cup, if you will, just hold on to it through the song and then at the end of the song, we're going to all take it together. And so, Father, we pray your blessing upon these elements. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. And for anyone here today who needs to receive that gift of forgiveness right now in your heart, say, Father, I confess my sin. I confess that I have run on ahead of you in my life. I have tried to do things my own way. But tell him right now in your heart, I believe that Jesus died on the cross so that I can be forgiven. He paid the price for my sins. And now receive his gift of forgiveness. Say, Father, forgive me. Come in and wash me clean. Though my sins were as scarlet, that I might be white as snow, purified in your presence and empowered to live the Christ life, to be like Jesus.